Sponsor made a good cut, but investors made a giant portion of that because the deal was a home run. It flipped in 21 months with 2.2 times multiple. If you do the math, it works out to be a very strong IRR. That's the key discussion. Institutional level waterfall ensures investors get right risk adjusted return. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to introduce to you Ash Patel. He's a full-time commercial real estate investor. He's going to be doing the interview today and a lot of them moving forward. I'm still going to be doing interviews, just not as many. And he is going to ask tough questions while still building rapport. That way it's not awkward. He's a good friend of mine. Join me in welcoming Ash Patel. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Mike Zlotnick. Mike is joining us from Brooklyn, New York. Mike, thank you for joining us. How are you today? Hi, Ash. Thank you very much for having me. I'm doing great. And how are you? I'm fantastic. Excited to have you. So today is Sunday. So best ever listeners, we are going to do a skill set Sunday where we talk about a particular skill that our guest has. Mike is the CFO of TF Management Group, which is a fund management group. He has $34 million of assets under management and has had investors since 2000. Mike, before we get into your particular skill set, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. So I grew up in the former Soviet Union from Russia with love, but I actually was still Soviet Union. I immigrated to the United States in 89. I'm a U.S. citizen, U.S. patriot. I've spent almost 15 years in software development. I had a whole career finishing it as a software executive. And I realized my passion has always been real estate. So I turned to real estate fund management full-time in 2009 while being an investor since 2000. All that terribly boring stuff. Real estate is actually a lot of fun. So that's why I went full-time 2009, never looked back. I live in Brooklyn, New York. I've been here for many years, married to my lovely wife over 21 years, four kids and a cat, the fifth child. That is a great story. So what was it that got you into real estate? Yeah. When I bought my first property, a primary residence here in Brooklyn, I was hooked. I thought this was the best thing after the sliced bread. And maybe this is New York City. Everything seems to appreciate at 10% a year. You look at this and say, wait a minute, the cash flow doesn't matter. Appreciation is the tide that rises all boats. So after that, I started buying apartments here and I thought it's a great play. There's no cash flow, but if you are growth focused, it's been a good market for many years. So predictability of outcome. I don't know if it's not the reason people invest in real estate. Most of the wealth has been built in real estate. Plus, it's fun. I'm a mathematician by education. You can actually project, compute everything what's going to happen. There are risks and uncertainties, but if you do things the way you could run the good, the bad, the ugly scenario mathematically and you get your answer. That's why I like it. Mike, so recently, for the first time ever, New York has had some declining assets. What are your thoughts on that? People moving out of the city, what has that done to supply and demand and prices? Yeah, Ash, that's a great point. We are the only place in the United States, maybe there are others, but to me, it feels like the only place where Manhattan has taken it on the chin while everywhere else, things are going pretty hot, pretty well. It's a strange phenomenon because a lot of corporations have had their folks work from home. People are not commuting into the city. The Broadway theaters are closed. I believe it's a temporary setback. So the demand for Manhattan and kind of the city life has dropped to almost nothing. Now restaurants are coming back 
and over time it feels it's going to come back. Yeah, there's been a negative appreciation in the city for a little bit. I'm in Brooklyn. Brooklyn has been very stable. Manhattan is that odd spot that has taken it on the chin, but it's coming back. And and what has it done? Yeah, I mean, it's just patience. You just got to be patient. It always always come back. We had 9-11. It came back. At this point, you can't be too focused on the near term. Just understand in a year or two when the Broadway reopens, when people go back to the offices, New York will be back. And so will the values of a lot of real estate. Now, this is for residential. Commercial and office space, it's another conversation. I think there's a lot of office space and over time, maybe too much. So softness in the office market may be multi-year softness. So Mike, you started out with a single family and then some apartment buildings all the way to managing a fund. Can you take me on that ride from beginning to success? Sure. So 2009, I become a fund manager full-time, take a substantial pay cut from my corporate job. Don't want to go back. It was a great career, but I chose to have a lifestyle. It's all about... (laughs) Build your business around your family rather than, I'm going to crack a joke, hope listeners understand this. So most of the corporate players, we have this joke, terrible joke, but what are the priorities in life? That's what we used to say. God's supposed to be number one, then the family, then the work. The joke of hardworking IT guys is we pray to God that the family understands that the work comes first. That was terrible, terrible. And I lived that life for many years, having lots of responsibility and working crazy hours. And the reason I like real estate is you're as active as you want to be and as passive as you want to be. So it's 2009, we started running the first fund. We financed a lot of quick flips, transactional funding, fix and flip projects, and moved on and on into a number of commercial investments. So the journey just expanded to residential. A lot of people do residential, and we understand finance of that. Commercial had to evolve. I've invested in commercial in the past myself. And then we launched our first commercial fund in 2017, Temple Opportunity Fund. Without promoting the fund, I apologize. I'm not trying to do that. And we just loved it. From the point of view that fund managers, the most fun job is to be the allocator of capital. Once you have a fund and a flexibility to allocate, you can pick and choose the best opportunities. You can see where the money flows, where the best deals are. And that's what we've been doing for a number of years now to basically see where things are going. One of the recent trends, I'll give you an idea. COVID hit. It's a terrible thing for the world. But what did it do? It dislocated certain sectors of the economy. A number of hotels became dysfunctional. And the opportunity is right away, buy these dysfunctional hotels and convert to multifamily. And that's an opportunity we saw. And as an allocator, as a fund manager, we immediately moved a bunch of capital. And these projects make a ton of sense. They're good projects. And they generate good returns for the fund. So that's what I really like as a fund manager. So evolution has been growing and expanding my own horizons into the asset classes and with the right, obviously, sponsors to take advantage of these great opportunities and and hopefully do good for the world. Mike, can you take me on your upswing journey? Because you didn't become a fund manager overnight. Take me on that journey from your early investments to your rise to where you are now. Sure. So 2000, I started buying apartments in Brooklyn. I bought my primary residence. Then I bought a number of investment apartments. Then I bought some investment houses. And the only thing I regret now is selling. Anything that I sold (laughs) has appreciated so much. So the journey has been a passive investor while having a full-time job, being vice president or director within technology companies in the IT departments. And as I was doing this in parallel, 
the more I went on, the more I liked real estate and the more I was getting tired of the IT being the squirrel riding the wheel. And that's the journey was very progressive. So building real estate portfolio passively until there comes a day in the middle of 2009 when I said, it's my last IT job. I don't want to do it anymore. And at that point, I had a portfolio of real estate investments. I loved real estate and it became an opportunity to basically, at that time, if you remember the days of short sale flips, I don't know if you remember those days. And a lot of folks in our network, or at least folks I knew, needed the capital to flip. They would get a short sale approval for 300000 They had a buyer for 350000 They did the flip. So we did this flip funding called transactional funding. That kind of got us going. And that was a good operating business until it sort of stopped. And then from there, a lot of houses had to be fixed and flipped. So we started financing that. Really enjoyed that hard money lending business. And then it continued for a number of years until we started expanding the horizons into a number of self-storage, multifamily, industrial, and other deals. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. One of the hardest tasks to balance while scaling your real estate investing business is accounting. Well, realestateaccounting.co takes care of the numbers for you so you can grow your business and revenue. REA helps property managers and investors save time and money by automating back office, financial, admin, and accounting. Starting is quick and seamless, from accounts payable to reconciliations, taxes, and reporting. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever to find out how REA clients save on average 30% by leveraging their accounting services versus hiring in-house. With CPAs on staff and being owner-operators themselves, REA knows the challenges of your growing real estate business. Try it risk-free at realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever. And remember to mention the Best Ever Podcast sent you to receive up to $1,800 towards onboarding and services. That's realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. Short selling flips is basically when you take a property that's owned by the bank or about to be owned by the bank and you stop that foreclosure, you buy it on a short sale, and then you flip it. Is that correct? That's, That's right. So it was very prevalent during the days of the previous crisis. Remember 2008, 2009, the financial crisis, a lot of foreclosures and a lot of properties were in technical foreclosure. And the whole premise was to approach the homeowner who was underwater and say, buy the house for this price with bank approval. And the banks approved them, often at a discount to the fair market value to move it out of their portfolio inventory. So the flip was to buy it at a discount with short sale approval from the bank and then flip it immediately to a retail buyer. And where did the funding come from for that? We funded, we funded those deals. 
When you say we. Oh, originally, Temple Funding LLC was the original funder of these deals. Okay, so, so this was a fund that you put together. Right. I didn't found it, just to be clear. My okay. good old friend found it, and he started it, and he was still in IT, and he said, I'm keeping that job. Won't you come and run this fund? And I started, his name is Joel Hoffman, good friend of many years, and I took over almost right after he started. And what have you done to grow that fund over the last 12 years? So for a while, the capital that we needed was very limited. I don't know if you can imagine transactional funding. You fund the money for three days, two days. We didn't need to. We, we had a couple million dollars, which was more than enough to fund these flips. Then over time, as flips became more difficult, back-to-back flips, banks put anti-flip restrictions in the short sale approval letters and so on. A lot of folks we worked with essentially asked for 90-day funding, 120-day funding, fix and flip funding. We started providing those funds, essentially your classic hard money loans, because there was a time to hold it. So might as well do carpet and paint at minimum and then sell the house after that. So we did that for a number of years. And then that fix and flip business continued to be very evolving. And the big boys entered the market, kind of the genesis of the world. And we realized we're not going to compete with the big boys. So we decided to shift our game. We still do fix and flip funding except for we don't compete on price, it became a commodity. So we shifted into the value-add real estate type of deals. Where you purchase value-add deals yourself? Yes and no. So some projects we were principals. A lot of the projects, we basically went into the game of our relationships, working with people who are specialists. So we became passive sort of investors, sometimes LPs and sometimes co-GPs, allocating capital with the best operators. So think of it this way. Instead of me buying a self-storage facility and being a specialist in self-storage and me buying a multifamily project and being specialist in that, we found these relationships with specialists in self-storage, multifamily, industrial. We have a specialist who buys land, gets it permanent for cultivation in Lake County, California. I call him pot. He's a pot farm dealer. (laughs) As a way to put it, we invest with the best of breed operators. These guys are specialists. So we provide generally passive capital with the best operators on the best projects. That's what I do day in and day out. It's on a capital allocator, not an active operator with a single strategy. So you marry people with money with opportunities. Bingo. You couldn't put it better. It's okay. exactly the case. You Great. know, it's funny. People ask me, what do you do? I tell them sometimes I marry money and opportunity. Perfect. And what do you get out of that? What are the percentages? What kind of fees? What kind of structure is that? So we genuinely run our funds with institutional waterfalls because we are not actively involved. So we have to be thin because we allocate capital. We need to manage the portfolio to diversify. We need to do all that work, but we're not doing heavy lifting. So generally, we charge 2% management fee and a 20% promote. So we pay investors a pref and then 2% management fee, and then there's an 80-20 split for Class A members. So we take 2 and 20 kind of promote on most of the deals. It's thin but we're not doing heavy lifting on projects. When we invest in the projects, we're looking for institutional level waterfalls. I love mom and pop investors. I mean this with total respect. A lot of folks invest, unfortunately, into mom and pop deals where low pref, low splits, sometimes the upside is capped. We invest with high quality sponsors. They'll have institutional waterfalls. In other words, some of the deals we invest in Depending on the deal, right? If we invest in debt, then we are secured in the first lien position with the right economics there. We'll ask for an equity kicker. And sometimes we'll do deals. I'll give you an example. We have a deal in the portfolio 
that is almost a thousand door in Indianapolis, where the pref is 12%, and then there's an 80 20 waterfall above that. So we LP, we're paying the 20% promote to the sponsor, but the deal itself has institutional level waterfall. Now, so, what is that? You've said that a few times institutional level waterfall. What is that? So what does that mean? It means that there's a substantial alignment of interest between investors and the sponsor. And when the capital plays a big role in the deal, the capital needs to get a giant share of the upside. Let me compare mom and pop waterfall versus institutional waterfalls, just for sake of comparison. I'm going to use extremes. Break it down for me. So value at multifamily, almost a thousand doors. Again, sponsor got paid less than 1% asset acquisition fee. And then investors get a 12% preferred return. And then the split above that is 80-20. That is an institutional level waterfall. It's rare today. It's very hard to get this type of deal. A lot of deals I see, 8, 9, 10, maybe 12 pref, and then 80-20 split. And the sponsor doesn't get a lot of heavy fees up front. They get reasonable asset management fee. That is institutional waterfall. The mom and pop waterfall is this example. Hey, invest with me. I'll pay you 8% pref. And I'll give you one-tenth profit share. And you take all the risk, and I capture all the upside. So the key word, institutional-level waterfall, creates the right risk-adjusted return. I know these are fancy terms of hedge fund managers, but the reality is, as an investor, you want to invest in a deal where if the deal makes a home run, it does great. You, as investor, make 80% of that upside instead of the sponsor capturing that big upside. So the mom-and-pop waterfalls is where... If the deal goes great, the sponsor makes it like a bandit. Investors make good return. If the deal goes bad, investors take it on the chin and they take the loss. That's the big difference. Institutional, we just did a deal hotel conversion to multifamily, just so you understand. The project level IRR was crazy. It was like 90%. Investors made 73% and the sponsor made the rest. Sponsor made a good cut, but investors made a giant portion of that because the deal was a home run. It flipped in 21 months with 2.2 times multiple. If you do the math, it works out to be a very strong IRR. That's the key discussion. Institutional level waterfall ensures investors get right risk-adjusted return. Does that make sense? It does. And I'll reiterate that, Mike. So 12% preferred return. And then upon sale or large profits, it's an 80-20 split. 82 investors, 20 to the sponsor. That is an example of an outstanding institutional level waterfall. Okay. A lot of institutional level waterfalls look like eight pref and 70, 30, 70 to investors, 30 to the sponsor. That is absolutely normal. I'm not saying it has to be 12 pref and then 80, 20 over 12. It can't be eight pref and 70, 30. Really, it's a balance. The money is worth more than the sweat labor. The smaller the project, the more sweat labor is. It's just kind of return on time for the sponsor to make it work. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Mark your calendars for the Best Ever Conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's besteverconference.com. Mike, somebody that wants to get into what you're doing, what advice would you give them? How can somebody that's got a number of years of experience, they've built a portfolio, and now they want to marry money with deals. They've got great relationships with syndicators. They have a lot of friends that are high net worth individuals. How do they go about 
becoming a fund? Sure. <laughs> a lot of people have asked me, help me set up a fund. I do a little bit of the coaching, bigmikecoaching.com. Couldn't come up with a more creative name. <laughs> All my brands are Big Mike. It's very cheesy, but originally, how did I get introduced to Joe through a mutual friend, Corey Boatwright? And Corey Boatwright is the collective genius mastermind. So he's a good friend. He said, everything is Big Mike because I'm a big guy. I'm 6'4" named Mike. So it's basically making sure you understand you love this stuff. You start with, if you have a passion for this, you really like it. Question number two, do you have the financial acumen? Do you have the economics, the finance background? If you have the skills, the talents to do that, I could coach them the rest. The rest is not actually terribly difficult. The fund management is a beast, but we use third-party administrator. There are service providers. You could outsource a lot of work. You don't have to do a lot of legwork yourself. So that's what we do. We outsource everything other than relationships with investors and then the sponsors and then monitoring and managing the portfolio. The rest can be outsourced. How do you vet your sponsors? That's a billion dollar question. That is a tough one, right? So I start, I literally just looked at a deal and I know it's a skills Sunday and we got to talk about skills. Here's one of the skills I have. I'm a finance guy. My head operates. I'm a statistician by education. So here's the call I had before this call. Literally, new relationship. I got introduction from somebody who I know, and I don't know the sponsor. So the first thing as I do is I try to establish referral chain. I need to know who they know, who I trust. It's hard, but I want to establish know, like, and trust as fast as I can. If I can't establish, I can't invest. I don't care how shiny the object is. I don't care what returns are promised. I need to know who these guys are. And then can I get a strong referral, somehow link the chain with a mutually strong, trusted source? Once I do that, that speaks a lot for the character. Then we take them through a process of verification, background, some other stuff, make sure that nothing funny shows up, that they don't have a lot of luggage with a bunch of bad stuff. If that's clean, obviously we work on the deal itself. Does the deal make sense? So it's really fascinating talking about skill set. So they show me a deal, they're building ground up project in Florida. I'm not going to say where. Basically, new houses. And their thinking is built to rent and then sell five years later. I looked at it and I realized, wait a minute, if they turn this into a multifamily and sell it on a cap rate because the rent-to-value ratio is high, they can get a much better exit price versus selling it one off a single family or some of them are two-family houses. So that whole process this is a skill. Sometimes you look at the deal. If you love finance and you can look at a deal, you could say, wait a minute, this is a better to be sold as a package as a multifamily instead of a bunch of single families because the economics work on a cap rate versus comparable sales approach. Mike, I like what you said about that referral chain. And I think we all subliminally use that when we vet deals, contractors, anything. What if you can't put the referral chain together, but they've got a great track record? One of the steps we do, our fund administrator does a background check, so we send them over. The name is Veryvest. I send them over for a Veryvest verified process. At least we clear that, which part of that process is to verify the track record. Once we clear that, it's a small world. As big as it is, it's a small world. They got to know they've been around, they've been doing things. They're going to get us to somebody who knows them and we know them. So if we get to that at that point and the background is good and clean and the deal looks really solid, we're going to start working on the documents to make sure if they're acting badly, we'll be able to take over. So the intention is not to be completely passive. Sometimes we're passive with very, very competent sponsors. We trust them. But if we don't know them, we need to put together a deal 
where if they don't behave, we have ability to take over control clause. And Mike, do you end up dealing with the investors as well or just the asset allocation? Both. Delighted we just hired our new head of investor relations. Again, introduction by mutual friend called Corey Boatwright. We just hired a, a great one and she's awesome. I love talking to both, but the time is finite. So trying to specialize, me staying a little bit more on the deal side, let her lead investor relations. I absolutely love talking to investors and helping folks. It's all about, without giving any investment advice, we try to understand Are you investing for growth or are you investing for income? Are you investing with tax efficiency? You have qualified money or non-qualified. And our funds, we are family of funds. Different folks, different strokes, different matches. Someone needs tax efficient growth with a lot of depreciation and tax efficiency. And somebody is investing IRA money and they need interest income and they're happy with that. So we try to do the best we can to serve our investors with what they need. Mike, I'm going to add that to your list. So you've got passion, financial acumen. And I'm going to add the willingness and really the passion to deal with investors and interact with investors, because that's a big part of it, where you have to truly find out what it is that they need and match them with the right funds and the right resources. That's exactly that. We just have to be very careful. Full disclosure, I'm not a registered investment advisor. I don't play one on TV. And when I talk to investors, I tell them 10 times, I can't give you investment (laughs) advice, consult with your professional. But that's why I coach. As a coach, I can coach them. It's funny. We have some investors who actually ask for coaching because they got a ton of money to invest. Hey, they don't know how to pick deals. This is hard stuff. Making investment decisions is hard. You can give the money to your financial advisor and they can invest it for you. I have a good friend. He has a term called CEO of your own money. If you want to be in control of your own money, you got to educate yourself to make these decisions. And that, that process takes time, effort, energy, and obviously costs some money. But it is very important. So you become sort of CEO of your own money and you take control and you make the investment decisions with your eyes wide open. Mike, do you coach on teaching people how to become fund managers or teaching them how to manage their investments? All of the above. I had people who reach out to me who are trying to structure a syndication and they need some thoughts or how to set up a brand new fund or if they have their own portfolio and they just don't know how to invest people ask me to look at the deals. I will look at them as a coach under the free speech. First Amendment, I can't give investment advice again. I hate to say that a few times, but that's a key message. If I have the time, the time is precious. I also have to click with a person. If I don't somehow click with them, I'm not going to take their money. I don't need the money. It has to be fun for me. If I'm enjoying working with a guy or a girl and it's a great relationship, it's fun, it's a journey. So we go on a journey together Whatever they're trying to go, my job as a coach to help them get there faster and better. That is great. Mike, I've learned a lot about fund managing, looking for deals. Thanks for the great advice. Thanks for sharing your story. How can our best ever listeners reach out to you? Sure. So, Ash, I appreciate once again having me on the podcast. It's very cheesy, but that's what it is. BigMikeFund.com. And if you misspell it and you forget the D at the end, BigMikeFund.com. I promise (laughs) it's not a kinky site. Fantastic. Mike, thank you again. Best ever listeners, thanks for joining us and have a best ever day. Thank you, you too.